It is a privilege of the Church of God to be shepherded by the Lord himself. One of the staffs that he uses to guide us is the law of the Lord our God. And that's why we remind ourselves of his care over his church by reading the law every Lord's Day, but reminding ourselves too and encouraging ourselves that our dear Lord Jesus, the Savior, kept this law on behalf of those who look to him in faith. So after the reading of the law of God, we want to sing to the Lord in response to his law, Psalter 42, the stanzas 1 and 2. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And then this morning we'll be considering particularly this commandment, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And knowing how the commandments of God, according to our Lord Jesus, are predicated on love love to God and love to our neighbor, it is no surprise that our Lord adds to the 10, the 11th commandment, a new commandment, he said, I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Let us sing. In the course of this morning's message, we will be dipping into four different parts of scripture, again, each corresponding to one of the ways we want to approach the fifth commandment, the last of which is 1 John chapter 3. So that's what we'll read right now, 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, Because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 
Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. <clears throat> he that committeth, <clears throat> excuse me, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby we perceive, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. We ought, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence. Then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Thanks be to God for the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, did it ever occur to you that the word Father cannot exist apart from other relationships. In other words, you can't be a father unless there is a mother. You can't be a father unless there is at least one child. So the word father does not stand alone by itself. So then the question is, where does this name, this word, this title come from? And why might that be important to us? Well, with God's help, we're going to explore that from the Word of God with help from the 39th Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism. And we want to see, again, with the help of the Lord, we want to see the fifth commandment from a God-centered perspective. We have four texts, each of which are reflected in the, in the different themes we're going to be looking at in this commandment. The first is Genesis twenty-eight fourteen. God says, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, 
and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And then particularly these words, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. The second text is taken from the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. The third text is from Revelation chapter 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Referring, of course, to the new heaven and the new earth. And finally, from the chapter which we read earlier, 1 John 3, the first verse. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And then on page 75 of our Psalter book, our song book, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39, question and answer 104. What does God require in the fifth commandment? The answer that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since, and this is the part we're really going to focus on, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. So our theme is the fifth commandment of Father's love. Love for families, love for churches, love for nations, and love for his children. Boys and girls, if you've ever been taught anything about the Ten Commandments, you've probably heard people say that the commandments are divided into two parts. The first part the first uh, of the commandments, the first four, are said to deal with our relationship with God. And it's often said the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with people. Now, of course, that description sounds reasonable enough. And yet we remind ourselves that all of life is spiritual. And really everything has to do with the glory and pleasure of God, or at least it should. So that even those commandments which appear to only govern earthly relationships, ultimately they reflect our relationship with God himself. And so we keep them or don't keep them unto God. More than anything this morning, I want us to see from God's word that the fifth commandment, with all its applications to everyday life, that the fifth commandment traces a straight line through every authority figure to God himself. So children, to put it really simply, the fifth commandment is teaching us that by honoring your parents... You are honoring God himself who placed your parents in your life. And we're going to see that that's true really about every authority figure there is in our life. Ultimately, to put it just another way, we want to see through these earthly figures to the ultimate and perfect father who so loves and cares for his children, each of them. And that seeing that connection, we might leave here worshiping this God heartily. So in the first place, a father's love for families. Now, young adults, children here this morning, I could imagine you probably think it's somewhat strange 
that in a sermon that's supposed to talk about a commandment that says, honor your father and mother, that this first point instead is called a father's love for families. But if you look at the bulletin carefully, you'll notice that each of the four points, when father is mentioned, I capitalized it. Meaning that we're talking about the father, about God the father. And as we look at the fifth commandment and we start where it most immediately touches us in our family life, we never want to lose sight of the fact that God the Father, through his son Jesus, ought to be at the center of each of our families. And so, God speaks of earthly fathers from the very beginning of Scripture, even before the fall. For example, he says, a man was to leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, meaning in marriage. So in other words, it's part of God's created order. It's part of his plan to have fathers and mothers and children, and eventually those children would marry and become fathers and mothers of their own children. So the idea of father has been there from the very beginning. But then, did you ever wonder how did Adam and Eve know how to be a father and a mother? What to do with their children? We don't read that God gave them a Bible to read. We don't read that God said anywhere, here's how you are to parent. And yet still, we can safely say that Adam and Eve had the best instruction about parenting possible. Because all they had to do was to look at how God parents them. And God is not ashamed to be called their father. At the end of Luke 3, this long genealogy that lands us back at the beginning, we read that Adam was called the son of God. And so this fatherly care of God over families is seen often in the scriptures. Did it ever strike you how often God would trace family lines, these long genealogies in both Testaments, carefully delineating who belonged to whom. And maybe the most significant passage showing God's care over families is our first text verse, Genesis 28, 14. God was saying to Jacob, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And we learn in the book of Galatians 3.16 that the word seed ultimately refers to Jesus. So putting that together, God is saying in Jesus would all the families of the earth be blessed. You might be wondering, well, okay, but what does all this have to do with the fifth commandment? Well, let me try to make the connections. Boys and girls, how many of you got to choose who your parents would be? Probably none of us. Was that choice your dad's choice? Was it your mom's choice? Well, actually not. Because your dad and mom getting married in the first place was God's idea. What God hath joined together, Jesus says. And we also know from Scripture that it's God who gives children or who withholds children, who doesn't give children, from couples. So that too is something that only God can do. So why point this out? For this reason. 
Our parents, and listen carefully, children, our parents, whether they are God-fearing or whether they're unsaved, whether our parents are caring or not, they are providentially in God's plan placed over you, children, by God himself. So if you have caring, loving, nurturing, godly parents, that is a great gift of the Lord. They serve as models for you. Yes, imperfect for sure, sinful, yes, but models of God's parenting. But in the case, in the case that you have unloving or even hurtful, very sinful parents, listen, God can use even such parents to teach you to look elsewhere, to look above, to the Heavenly Father for love, for care, for grace, for feeling safe. So in every case, whether we have godly parents or very wicked parents, it is the Heavenly Father who in His providence leads us guides us, provides for us through our earthly parents. In every situation, however, even if we had the best parents on earth, the godliest of parents, we will find, by the grace of God, that this Father, the Heavenly Father, is the only perfect infinitely capable and loving father that one could ever have. And it's for that reason, children, that there is such a father to rely on in heaven. It's for that reason that God can say to you, children, obey your parents, but listen, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he adds, which is the first commandment, which promise, with promise. And that promise, God would go on to explain, is that you would live a long life in the place where God places you. Now, to be clear, not everyone who obeys and respects their parents faithfully will live to be very old. And not everyone who is disobedient or disrespectful will necessarily die young. But what God is clearly saying is that his blessing, his favor, rests on obedient and respectful children. And his disfavor and even his judgments rest on the other. But the main point is simply this. Obeying our parents in the Lord means we obey, we respect, we honor them, not just for their sake, not just to please them, though we should want to please and respect them, but all the more we want to please the Lord by honoring the parents he's given us. So to say it again, we honor the Father in heaven by honoring our parents on earth. But we should go a step deeper. So let me talk to the adults among us. If you are repenting of your sin, if by the grace of God you are looking unto and leaning upon Jesus in faith, then you have this rock-solid promise from your Father in heaven, that even in the worst situations, He is promising you to work out even the sins of your parents. He will turn even that to make you more and more like His Son, Jesus. 
And that's true for you too, children. If you're looking to this Savior in faith, no matter how hard family life may be, God promises he's going to use it all to make you like Jesus. And I know, I know very well it is really, really hard to see that in the day-to-day interactions in our home. But just like Jesus once said to his disciples, so we can say to you, what he does now, what God does now, we may not understand. But one day, we will. God keeps his promises. So to wrap up this first point briefly, honoring, obeying, respecting our parents does not depend, does not depend on our parents being honorable or worthy of respect. We do it to please God. Now, surely it's easier to obey and respect and honor our parents when they are God-fearing, when they are caring and loving, certainly. But we may not disobey the fifth commandment if our parents are very sinful or even unworthy in themselves of respect and honor and obedience. No, we aim to please the perfect Father in heaven. That Father which becomes our Heavenly Father. How? Because He was willing to send His Son to obey in our place, to suffer in our place, to endure hell in our place, to die in our place, to be buried in our place, and to rise again in our place, all because... The love of this heavenly Father and the sacrifice of this precious Savior and the work of the Holy Spirit adopts sinners like us in mercy, adopts us into his family, into God's family as God's child. So we honor God by honoring our parents, trusting God to care for us, even if our parents, God forbid, don't care for us or don't care for us so well. How can we do this? How can we be an obedient child in difficult circumstances? By looking to God's child, to God's son, to the Savior. That seed which God promised shall bless all the families of the earth. Jesus Christ. In the second place, a father's love for the church. Our heavenly father not only loves families, but he also loves his church. We would say this father especially loves his church. He loves all those who love his son. And we know that from our second text and similar Verses Second Thessalonians 2, Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And of course, that wasn't just true about the church at Thessalonica. It's, it's true about every one of God's true churches, everywhere where the people of God have been scattered throughout this world. Now, what does that have to do with this church, with our church? Well, boys and girls, just like families, so in church families, God is willing to care for us through people. So in your family, dad and mom. In the church family, he has given us his care, particularly, though not exclusively, through office bearers. Beloved, have we ever seen or thought of 
the deacons, the elders, the ministers as God's hands, as God's voice, as God's heart to our church family. That God is, to put it another way, God is pleased to father you through their fatherly care. You know, Paul makes exactly that connection. For example, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, listen carefully to how he says this. Now then, we, speaking of the apostles and the New Testament preachers, we are ambassadors for Christ. And then he goes on to say, as though God did beseech you by us. In other words, through the means of us. We pray you, we urge you, in Christ's stead. So, as if Christ himself was saying it. Be reconciled to God. The whole purpose of elders visiting our homes can be summed up in Colossians 4, verse 8. That we may know your estate, the apostle writes, and comfort your hearts. We are there to encourage believers in their faith, to warn any who might be unruly before the Lord. Now, I'll be the first to admit there is much improvement, room for improvement in how we do family visits. And in fact, we've been recently talking about that among, uh, among the elders, and we're trying to learn. But do know this. On countless nights away from their own families, they want to spend time to see how you and your family are doing. One of the most disheartening things is when members simply don't respond at all. When they avoid these visits, or during these visits, they try to derail the conversation to something superficial. And I I find that this example may help us to see what I'm talking about. Imagine that you have a yearly appointment with your doctor for a checkup, just a checkup, and you don't show up, and you don't call, or you do show up, and he's asking you questions, and you don't answer him. So how are you feeling? You don't say anything. Well, how about that problem from last year? You don't say anything. Well, that would be an awfully strange situation, right? You're basically sitting there, or either not making your appointment, or not caring to talk about your health, which is exactly why you're having that appointment in the first place. And I found it very helpful. We as elders recently heard a recording. A minister from a very different denomination said about family visits, you, the congregation, invited us into your home when you agreed to become a member. In other words, when you answer the questions for membership, one of those questions is, like an open invitation, come visit me. So we're simply following up on that invitation. Look above the elders, beloved. Admittedly, there's plenty to find fault with us, but again... Please submit cheerfully to their visits, to their questions, their interest in your welfare. And why? Because of the Father in heaven who sent them. Yes, who sent them. I think we all know that men don't campaign to become office bearers. And they are chosen. They're chosen by you, the members, time and again. And ultimately, through you, they are chosen by the Lord. And again, going back to the physician analogy, I don't think a lot of us are excited necessarily about 
going to visit our doctor, but we recognize it's an important safeguard. So we do it. So let me put it this way. Submit cheerfully to the Lord's way of giving you spiritual checkups on a yearly basis. And pray for us because it's just as challenging for us as it is for you. Now the deacon's work is no less important. They are no less a gift of God, this Father. Their work, in a certain sense, is patterned after the Lord Jesus himself. They look out for, they try to assist the poor, the struggling, the needy in our church family. And they too sacrifice much time away from their families, much prayer for you. Now, the challenge concerning the deacons is often their work is unseen because of the confidentiality associated with their work. But just keep in mind, it is not their money that they distribute. It is not the church's money that they distribute. It is God's provision for his people in need that they distribute. So, if you are in need, if you are facing struggles of various kinds, don't hesitate to contact them for help. God put them there for you. It's God's care for you through them. And pray that God may bless their helping hands and try to see their helping hands as his helping hands reaching down into your need. Regarding us pastors, ministers, we are called to bring the gospel to the lost. We are called to instruct, to build up, to encourage believers in every stage of life. But I think you've probably guessed by now there's no book or chart saying preach this on this Sunday. And it can be very daunting to know what to preach about each week concerning what you need as a congregation. It's also challenging to to keep a balance of subjects so as over the course of time to preach the whole counsel of God. And it's a challenge to keep messages fresh and not repetitive. So again, I would urge you to look beyond your ministers to look to the Father who established his own Son, Jesus, to be the prophetic teacher of teachers, the one who is hopefully giving us, your ministers, us under-shepherds, what we need to know and to say to you. So to summarize, honor Thy father and thy mother applies just as much to our church family as it does to our natural families. He places, hopefully, caring fathers in your home, caring mothers, and caring office bearers in your church family, placed by God's design, providentially by your vote, to oversee, to feed, to guide, to protect the flock entrusted to our care. And beloved, we need, as office bearers, the very same shepherding, fathering that you need. And so let's pray for one another to this father of fathers, also church fathers, that they may be, that we may be a conduit, a means in God's hands for the father's care to come to us. Well, before we... A father's love for the nations. Honor thy father and thy mother may seem quite far removed from nations. But just as God gives parents to families, office bearers to church families, he also gives leaders to nations who are also to be honored. And 
it can be very difficult, can't it? To honor certain leaders whose characters are frankly reprehensible and whose policies are contrary to the word of God. But we must keep in mind, we must, what God says about this. Romans 13 verse 1, he says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And he later calls the civil magistrates, the political leaders, ministers of God. Of course, when the dictates of leaders require Christians to disobey the word of God, we must not obey them. And that, of course, often leads to persecution. Recent history that we've all lived through have pitted these two principles against each other in the minds of Canadian Christians and Christians in other nations as well. Whether, on the one hand, to obey the government's forbidding the gathering of Christians in public worship for health reasons or the command to worship anyway in obedience to God even though the government mandates otherwise. And we're not going to we're not going to resurrect that controversy. But this much we can say. This whole debate, so to speak, has awakened in the churches of our nation a thought process that we had not engaged in before, perhaps even in our lifetime. An exercise, so to speak, that we may well prove very helpful in the future when the government appears to be poised to intrude more and more into what Christians can and cannot say <clears throat> or do. So even though <clears throat> we may feel quite distant, as it were, from the halls of government, and even though we may be quite wary when we see government officials trying to usurp more and more power and control, it may be quite difficult for us to equate government with the fifth commandment and our duty towards our government. But here again, beloved, as we have seen twice already this morning, we need so badly to see through our civil leaders to the one who holds the hearts and minds of prime ministers and presidents and kings in his hand. And here, in, as in so many other situations, we need faith to see past the deceptions, the lies, the debates, the disagreements. We need to see past all of that to the Father who is pleased to govern us also by means of these flawed individuals in high places. Good governments are a blessing of God. Evil governments are a means that God uses to chasten God's church and his people. Remember what God said of the heathen king, King Cyrus, in Isaiah 44. God says, He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. In Psalm 17, David calls the wicked God's sword. In Isaiah, the enemy Assyria was described described as the rod of God's anger. Habakkuk says the wicked were ordained for judgment and correction. Now, of course, all of that does not give wicked heads of state authority to command the people of God to sin. 
And it certainly doesn't compel us to sin. But there are a host of other inconveniences, difficulties, troubles of all kinds that we may be called upon to endure on account of either evil and or incompetent government which we must bear patiently. But don't we have to face this reality? Why are there wicked governments? Can we honestly say, beloved, we have been on our knees regularly praying for our leaders? Cannot we, in a certain sense, say the nation is what it is today and our leaders are who they are today because of us? Because we have just assumed that government runs on its own and we don't have to, as it were, dirty our hands too much in that business. And we have let our leaders down. I'm not suggesting that nobody is praying for them. But honestly, doesn't it start with us, with the church of God? Now, we may certainly use means at our disposal to lawfully petition our officials, to voice our opposition to evil doing, but in our heart of hearts, in our conversations with others, we so need the attitude that David had towards Saul. Saul was not a person who could be respected, but David respected his office, repeatedly saying he could not stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed. We should not either. In our conversations, in our attitudes, they are God's ministers. And so it's vital to realize and to keep realizing that the Heavenly Father is always active. He is ever active also in the affairs of nations, including ours. And just like God's promise to cause Jesus to be a blessing to the families of the earth, the Lord also promised the Old Testament saints and us that he will cause his Christ to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And in fact, one day we're going to see that fulfilled. We read in Revelation 21, 24, concerning the new heaven and the new earth, this astonishing statement, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of that place. The kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Imagine, the nations of the saved, God says. And we know that means real nations because then he talks about real kings. And together they will bring glory, somehow add glory and honor to that place, the text says. It only adds to the, to the anticipation and quite frankly the intrigue of that glorious place. But down here, in this realm of sin, corruption, disillusionment, debasement in the political realm, we must remember he is the Lord of that place and God is the Lord of this place. As broken as this place may appear to be. And what an encouragement for our obedience to the civil authorities we find in Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: The kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. So even when all might seem lost, even when it seems the wicked have appeared to triumph, even, to paraphrase Psalm 2, when the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. He has said long ago, I have set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. 
And to further encourage us, he has committed to that king all power and authority here on earth as well as in heaven. And beloved, if not one sparrow is forgotten by God, surely his eye is upon ye of little faith. And so over all the nations where his children have been scattered. And that leads us to our last thought, briefly, a father's love for his children. Boys and girls, don't you feel the safest, the most secure, when you are surrounded by people who love you, who protect you, who provide you with safety and all that you need. You see, this is one of the greatest takeaways from this commandment. If you think back at what we've seen already this morning, don't we see that our God has literally surrounded us with concentric circles, we would say, with with authority figure after authority figure at every level who have been charged by him with our care. So we find them in our homes. We find them in our churches. We find them in our nation. And yes, absolutely, it is heartbreaking when authority figures misuse their authority and damage our trust when they betray our trust and their calling. But, and this is so vital, we must not allow their failures and sins, the sins even of those whom God has placed in our life for our good, we must not allow that to color our thoughts of the goodness of God. And, and I will be the first to admit, it is excruciatingly painful when those who abuse their authority and harm us, when God does not providentially rescue us from their wickedness. In other words, why didn't the heavenly father intervene? Why didn't he keep me from this evil can be a very painful question. And there's no easy, simple answer to that question, but there is this. We have a Savior who not only knows what it is to be betrayed and abused by friends and authorities alike, but he lived to the fullest extent imaginable, beyond anything any of us could ever suffer. He did. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. But there was silence in Gethsemane. There was silence on Calvary as this altogether good, infinitely good father of all fathers held his peace. So Jesus Christ not only knows what you're going through, he has gone through it himself. He's willing to walk through it with you. And in his life 
and by God's grace in our life, suffering precedes glory. We, too, experience betrayal, suffering, heartbreak, pain, and more. And our cries to him who can deliver us may seem to be met with silence. But never, ever conclude, beloved, that silence means he didn't hear or will not act because ours is a living God whose ears are open unto our cries. And we know, we absolutely know how much this father loves his children. And we know that because of what happened to his son on the cross. That he did what he did to save rebels, sinful enemies like us. And that is exactly why, beloved, John writes with amazement, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? In essence saying, what kind of love is this? That we, of all people, should be called God's sons, God's children. Has that ever amazed you? Dear friend, has he indeed adopted you by the grace and spirit of God, by the new birth into his family? And to encourage you, comb the Gospels, search them out to see what kind of misfits and failures and outcasts and wretches that Jesus gathered into his spiritual family, changing them, stopping them, conforming them into his image. Is it a wonder to you that he is not ashamed to call us brethren who were children of the devil by nature, walking in his ways, and then to stop us, and then to turn us, and then to change us, and then to bring us in so that we are sons now of this father, the bride, he says, of Christ his son, brought into a family of innumerable brothers and sisters in the faith. Again, layer after layer of concentric circles of care, starting under our roof in our home, under the roof of our church, under the flag of our nation, but most of all, under the banner of our Savior's love. What care! And so, we show respect, we revere, we obey as unto the Lord, as unto the Father who placed us under these authority figures, knowing that as we rest in Jesus' finished work, he will, he will work all things together for our good. In the end, the family resemblance will be ours. For we read, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Now, the apostle says, with unveiled face, through the means of God's word, we see the glory of the Lord. And we are changed as by the Spirit of the Lord from glory to glory. But then, then we will be all together like Jesus, who is himself 
the perfect image bearer of his Father. Blessed be God's glorious name forever and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let us pray.